Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. I don't know about you, but I love going for a good long walk. When we moved to Manchester, we moved from Birmingham, and to go for a decent walk in Birmingham, you have to drive to Wales. Everything around Birmingham is, well, it's the Midlands, so it's pretty boring. Um, Whereas in Manchester, you're really not that far from the Peak District. I remember moving to Manchester and standing on the train station at Levensham, which is a bit elevated, and looking and realising I could see the Peak District, which was brilliant. Uh, And uh, we love going for a long walk. When I say we, me and Vicky do. The kids who are teenagers, it's somewhat harder to convince them, um, but uh, sometimes they'll do it. Uh, But we love going somewhere unexplored, somewhere beautiful. It's very good. And a few summers ago, we got to walk in the Yorkshire Dales, Northumberland, the Peak District, walked up Snowdon and back down again. We didn't go on the train. And Scotland as well. It was brilliant. Uh, Really good fun. And, uh, but walking isn't actually that simple. Okay, you might think, well, yes, it is, Tim. You put one foot in front of the other and you just go. But I'm not talking about a walk to the shops, which you do uh, very often, where you can walk whilst watching Netflix at the same time. Uh, I actually, I walked here this morning and there was a guy coming the opposite way of me. He was full on just watching TV as he walked uh, along because he was so used to where he's going. Now, I'm, I'm talking about like going for a proper walk. And actually, it's, it's easy to get lost so we do, every now and again, we'll do a CCM walk in the Peak District, and I'm always a bit nervous about allowing it to, I just think, I don't want, I can't imagine how it would work on the insurance if we lost a few people. Um, but if Michael Dixon is going, who I know is an experienced walker, if he was here this morning, he would nod in agreement. So if he's going, I'm like, I'm fine. He's, he, Mike, he's also a policeman, so what's the worst that could happen? He knows where to walk and how to arrest people. Brilliant. Um, it's not simple. You need to concentrate on where you're going. You need to understand your map. Uh, otherwise, you can end up somewhere you don't mean to go. Or the weather can change very dramatically, can't it? And suddenly you're in a situation which is difficult or dangerous. So if I'm walking, I like to know that there is someone with me, if it's a slightly dramatic walk. Uh, and when we went to Northumberland, my aunt lives in Northumberland, and she's lived there 40 years And she's done all of the walks within like 15 to 20 miles of her. So she knows everywhere to walk. And she's a big walker as well. So if we're going out with her, it means I can just relax, enjoy the view, uh, enjoy the walk. Because somebody is walking with me. And today, we're going to talk about that a little bit. Talk about our walk with Jesus. Our devotion to Jesus. Uh, And you might think this is simple, but actually... I think this is much more difficult than we uh, perhaps realise. And we're going to look at a passage from Colossians. And the church in Colossae, actually, it seems we're experiencing some difficulty. And uh, this letter was written by a guy called Paul, and he is concerned for them as he writes to them. He's concerned that they would perhaps go in the wrong direction. Perhaps that they would have the wrong kind of end in mind. Perhaps that they would just give up completely. Or perhaps they would walk with the wrong person and and follow the the wrong thing in life. Or follow the wrong kind of philosophy. And so we're going to look at actually a relatively chunky bit of Colossians. 
uh, and we're going to work our way through bit by bit. So go to 2 Colossians 6, it will appear up behind me. Thanks very much, Dan. Uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll kind of work our way through. But think about this, how we walk with Jesus or how is our walk with Jesus? And he says, verse 6 and 7, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So we are to walk in Jesus. That's what Paul wants his readers, the church that he knows in this town, uh, to think about, to walk in him. And they have received Jesus. So he says, look, as you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, he is, he is their Lord and Saviour. So he is kind of talking to Christians here in this moment. But actually, it's an invitation to all of us. Is, is Jesus your Lord and Saviour? If he is, then are you following him? Are you walking with him? And he says, now, now Jesus, your Lord and Saviour, you've repented, you've turned your life uh, to direct it towards him. Now you must walk in Jesus. It's a very active thing that he wants them to grasp. It's not like having a club membership, like you've signed up and you're in the club, but really it has no impact on your life. Now this is, this is you walk this out in every part of your life. Now we moved house a couple of years ago and after I moved house I decided to clear out some of my office. I should have done it before I moved house but I moved all of the junk with me then I threw it away which was idiotic. But I was doing that, I was clearing out uh, my office and I found a Blockbuster video membership card. That's right. Now how long I've carried that around with me. I've actually moved house with that thing four or five times. Uh, blockbuster video membership card. Uh, and when I'm doing a boring job and I find something interesting that can distract me, I allow myself to go down that rabbit hole. So I discovered that there is in fact one Blockbuster video store left in the whole world in America. I think, I was thinking, I could go there. I could use my Blockbuster video card. I could try and rent a video. Then I'd have to buy some sort of facility for playing a video. All of these sorts of things. Um, membership is passive, isn't it? I was still a member of Blockbuster video. They have my data. I am in that club, but it makes no difference to my life, clearly and obviously. And Paul is pointing to something very different, to walk in Jesus. So walking is not simple. There is some danger on this journey. And Paul is explaining this. He's wanting the church in Colossae to think about this. Think, actually, you could get lost. You could take the wrong path. You could be exposed to bad teaching, to, to bad theology that could have deep effect on your faith, on your walk. So today, we're going to think about who we follow we're going to think about how we walk, and we're going to think about the transformative power of walking. So who are we following? Well, let's go to verse 8. He carries on, Paul. He says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. And there is a very powerful warning here, actually, for ordinary Christians. So sometimes when we, we read these letters we, or these parts of the New Testament, we can think it's very deep thinking from a theologian that perhaps he was in an office somewhere and he got to write this stuff and it was a bit, a bit abstract. But Paul was writing to a church. He was writing to people uh, who were his friends, people like 
you and me, people with jobs, people with lives, people who are, who are just trying to live in the proper way, uh, perhaps even just trying to get from day to day, even whatever it might have been. These were just ordinary people. And Paul was looking at these churches, these ordinary people that perhaps he knew, and he was saying, look, don't become captive to philosophies and lies. And what are these? Well, actually, Paul, this is quite helpful. He doesn't actually list a whole bunch of specific things. He actually gives a very general uh, warning here about philosophies and lies. And we could drill into the detail of what was going on in that city at that time. And actually, I'm not sure it would be very helpful. He wants us to take a step back and just to think and pause. The, okay, the, the world that surrounds us, where do these philosophies come from? Where do these lies come from? He talks about human tradition and the spirits of the world. It's the way that we choose to live, the, the things that are around us. Importantly, where do they come from? Well, they don't come from Jesus. We just we consider this for a moment. We are surrounded by philosophy. We are, you might think, oh, I'm, I'm not into that, Tim. I don't, I'm not interested in philosophy. Well, let's think about it another way. We are surrounded by ways of thinking. We are surrounded by ways of viewing the world, ways of viewing human behaviour and human conducts, some of which is good and helpful, some of which is unhelpful, some of which is lies, as Paul would say. And we are surrounded by them. We're so surrounded by them, we actually forget that they are there. So there's a story. Two young fish that go for a swim. They decide, should we go? Let's go for a swim. And they're going out for a swim, and an older fish swims in the opposite direction. And he looks at them, nods, and says, morning, how's the water? And the two young fish just kind of nod back and keep swimming. And then one of them goes, what's water? They are surrounded by it. It's a way of thinking. It's a way of being. And they don't even know it's there. And that is our culture. That is the world that we live in, the society we live in, the philosophies, the ways of thinking, the worldviews that we have. They surround us, but perhaps we don't even realise that they are there. And so we have to think, well, are we held captive by these, by ones that aren't right? And they can come from all different sorts of places, can come from our family. can even be, well, that's just the way I was brought up. I was brought up to think in this way or to behave in this way. Now, some family upbringing could be very good, can't it? But sometimes it can be very unhelpful. It can put ways of thinking in which aren't good for us. Perhaps it can come from the media that we consume. And whether we realise it or not, we are constantly fed messages and worldviews and philosophies. And it's important that we see them for what they are. We don't just willfully accept them. It can come from just the people around us, peer pressure even. You think all of my work colleagues think this, so perhaps that's just the best thing to think. It must be right. Or all of my friends at uni, they think in this way, they behave in this way. Then if everybody behaves like this, man, that's maybe how I should behave as well. But actually, Paul says, look, we need to step back from these things and genuinely ask, where does that come from? Does it come from Jesus? So on our walk... On your walk with Jesus, if you were to declare him your Lord and Saviour, you think, yeah, I'm going to follow you, Jesus. On, a, on your walk with him, you have to think, actually, who am I following? What am I following? What philosophy, what worldview, what way of thinking do you live by? So Paul, he keeps, keeps on digging. How do we walk with Jesus? Well, the first thing to think is, where do you begin? 
Now, if we're on a holiday somewhere, I like to buy the big OS map of that area and lie it out on the floor and work out where we are and what's going on around us. It's a bit nerdy, but I like to do it. And the important thing when you work out a walk is to work out where you actually are. So if I, get, I think I'm somewhere on the map that I'm not, and then I plot a walk, it's going to go horribly wrong, isn't it? So you have to know where you actually are. You have to find your start point. Using Google Maps is cheating, okay? <laughs> Try and work it out from OS map, although any number of times I've cheated. And Paul says, verse 9, he says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Okay, so that's the start point. That in Jesus, it's a very kind of grand statement. The whole fullness of deity bodily dwells. What it means is this Jesus person is God. That's your start point. This Jesus person is God, the ruler and creator of all things. Jesus is God. He is involved in your life, Paul says. You have been filled in him, and he is in charge of everything. That is our start point for the walk. Think, I want to follow Jesus. That's where we begin. So then, that's our start point. Well, how do we get moving on the walk? Well, actually, God invites you. Verse 11 says, In him also you were circumcised, with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Okay, a lot going on here. So your faith really has very little to do with you. Okay, On this walk, you are invited to go. Your faith has very little to do with you. I once... Uh, got to go to corporate hospitality at Old Trafford to watch Manchester United. Now, it's a wonderful evening. I was 19, okay? I was wined and dined. Uh, I was taken to a very posh restaurant on Deansgate in Manchester, ate very posh food. Then we got a posh black cab to the, to the stadium. We got there a minute before kickoff. We went round all the other plebs who happened to pay for their tickets. Uh, and we got taken in a special entrance We've got amazing seats above the halfway line, got to see the whole pitch. It was the mid-90s, and it was Man United versus Fiorentina, so Gabriel Batistuta was playing Fiorentina. Okay, he was an amazing Argentinian centre-forward, looked a bit like Thor, just incredible football. It was a brilliant, brilliant evening, uh, and I was there purely because of my dad, by no merits of myself, because of his job because these people were his clients and he was in charge of some pretty significant contracts and they wanted to keep him sweet, which was absolutely fine with me. But it was nothing to do with me at all. I was not there by any of my own merits. I enjoyed all the privileges of it, but I did not deserve to be there. And we are raised from death to life. It's a similar thing. When you are dead, you have no power, you have no consciousness, you have no control, you have nothing at all, and yet Jesus takes you from that into life. And the picture of that is in baptism. We're going to baptise next Saturday, I think, six or seven people from across CCM. And that picture of them being put into water is you are dead. You go underwater into death and then you are brought out alive. It's a picture of what Jesus does for us. In other words, you get to be on this walk because you're invited, because Jesus takes you there. 
not because of your own innate brilliance or personality or anything like that. God has put you on this walk, not because of your upbringing or your holiness, your cleverness, your work ethic, whatever it might be, but because Jesus has invited you. And not only that, he gives you the power to walk as well. Okay, So verse 13 says, You were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, all our sins, all the things we've done wrong, by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Then he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, put them to open shame by triumphing over them. When we are bought from being dead to being alive, we are restored to God. That we are brought back into a relationship with God. The relationship that we, was intended for us when God created all things, that we would be his representatives on earth. We would be in relationship with God. And when we are saved, we are brought back into that. And not only that, but in that moment, Jesus defeats death and evil in the world. So importantly, he says he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame. He defeated evil. And it's very simple, but very important to our faith. Actually, it's easy to get caught up in the activity of being a Christian. And I'm not saying those activities are bad. Many of them are good and we are encouraged to do them. But Paul is saying, look, go for the big picture first. Remember, God invites you on this walk and he gives you the power to walk. Without Jesus, there is no walk with him. There is no faith in him. And you might think this is very simple, but actually this is our foundation point. This is the key to devotion in Jesus, actually. This is the key to being bold. This is the key to trusting in God. This is the key when life gets really difficult and things don't go in the way that you want them to, that you think, actually, I was never here because of myself. I'm here because of Jesus. If we remember this, it changes many things. Perhaps the easier way to think about this is to think about it about someone else. So imagine there is another Christian that you know who's doing brilliant in their faith. One of those people that whenever they seem to pray for something, it it happens. Or or whenever they seem to pray for someone who's a bit ill, that person gets better. Or whenever they try something, it just seems to work and they seem happy and joyful all the time. And you're thinking, why am I like, I don't understand that. Why are you like that? Or perhaps there's a Christian you know who's, who's a bit annoying or they're failing, or they mess up, or they're not performing in the way that you think they should perform as a Christian. And actually, in both of those situations, God would say, well, they're only here because I invited them. They're only able to walk because I give them the power to walk. And the fascinating thing about walking, and this is going to seem very obvious, is that there is a beginning and there is a middle and that there is an end And this is what we tell the kids if we're out on a particularly long walk. I might sometimes be a bit flexible with the truth and say, oh, yes, we're halfway now. We are definitely at the halfway point at this moment in order to somehow keep them going. And then you feed them chocolate. But there is a beginning, a middle and an end. It's very obvious. And perhaps we live like we have that blockbuster video membership. You're signed up. It's official. But really, it's just in a drawer. We don't live with it. We're not on the journey with it at all. And Paul invites us to walk. 
because it is a journey, because actually you make progress in your walk. You get better at walking. Jesus invites us, he gets us started, and he gives us power to walk. And now we are on this walk with him. Now we are traveling with Jesus. We're on this journey. He uses it to slowly transform us, to slowly make us a little bit more like him, and also to slowly transform the world around us, to slowly conform that to his image as well. And we get to be his partner in that process. So finally, how does this walk transform us? Verse 16 says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by sensuous minds and not holding fast to the head from which the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints, ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. Right, there is a lot going on there. So let's just think about this. Walking with Jesus brings change to us. It transforms us, okay? You can't help that be true if you choose to follow him and live with him. And that actually is the only way we get to grow, the only way that we are transformed. And in this, he is warning, Paul, as he writes this, he's warning against righteousness without relationship. Righteousness without Jesus, without the relationship with him, is self-righteousness. And he is warning against that. Now, there is a lot going on here, and it's easy to get caught in the detail. So the important verse is verse 19, when he talks about we're not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together, okay? He's saying that's what we are called to do. When we grow in maturity in our walk with Jesus, we are holding on to the head, that is Jesus. And he is talking about the whole body, which is the church, which we are part of, but the head of the body, the the, the guiding, leading part of it is Jesus himself. And he's talking in the big corporate terms of the church and individual terms as well as how we grow as individual. A church grows in strength and an individual grows in strength from the head by holding tight to Jesus. And it's the only way we grow. And he is warning again, he's warning against righteousness without relationship. So he talks about festivals and what we eat or drink and those things. And really he's talking about the routine of being a Christian. So he was talking about the routine at the time of the uh, Colossians. But for us, it's the routine of being a Christian. How you can just get caught up in that without having the relationship with Jesus. Actually, slowly that dries you out. And he also talks about uh, looking for angels and things like that. And really, he's, he's talking about actually the danger of being supernat- too supernatural. Just always thinking about where's the next prophetic word coming from. So he's saying some people are very routine driven, but they do it without relationship. Some people are very super spiritual, but they do it without relationship. And he's saying, look, without Jesus, without the heads of the body, it's pointless. Without the head, the body wanders around without knowing where it's going. He is warning against a Christianity that is performance, that is perhaps to impress those around us. And he goes on again. We'll read these last few verses. He says, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. 
referring to the things that all, that all perish as they used to. According to human precepts and teachings, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. And this is Paul's kind of final warning. The only way that the world changes, the world that we all live in, that we all interact with, that we go to work in, that we have our relationships in, uh, that we study in, the only way it changes The only way that we change, that we become holy, that we walk in the righteousness of Jesus is by relationship with him, by devotion to him. Uh, Sometimes people will say, what's what's the vision of CCM? What do we want to do? And it is fundamentally that we are devoted to Jesus, that we are his community and that we are on his mission. That that is what we intend to do. So what do we want to do at Fallowfield over this next year? I want us to be devoted to Jesus. I want us to be his community. I want us to be on his mission. And there are lots of different things that we can do that are part of that, but that is the underlying factor. Manchester will change because you walk with Jesus. You might think about it. Even in your jobs, the works that you do, the time that you spend with clients or whatever business you're involved in, if you do that as part of your walk with Jesus, you slowly bring transformation. If you are studying and perhaps you get the opportunity to do nights out in Manchester or whatever it might be, if you do those as a follower of Jesus, then actually you will bring some change. If you do it because you are in relationship with him, that's a good thing. That's how our city will change. But walking with him is not the easy route. It's not the easy path. It's not the simple way. Jesus actually himself said, look, the gate is narrow And the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So how is your walk with Jesus? It's a genuine question to just allow it to sink into you a little bit. How is your walk with Jesus? Is Jesus the head of the body? Is he the philosophy and the the worldview that you live by? Is relationship with him the most important thing to you? Does your righteousness exist without relationship? Or do they work together? It's an important question to ask of yourself. Even just as you're chatting with your friends, we, we, try not, we, you know, we try to be pretty cool. We're all quite young and hip, most of us. And so perhaps even saying, how's your walk with Jesus, is not a question that comes up very often. And perhaps you can work out a, a better way of asking that question. But it's probably the most important one that we can be asked and that we can ask. And we can ask it in friendly ways, not aggressive ways. But how is your following of Jesus going? Is he way off in the distance? You think you can pick him out? Are you walking with him? Whatever it is, 